This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. What's going on, Ann Kemp? This is another episode of the Church Politics Podcast. This is Justin Gibbony, the president of the Ann Campaign. And to be honest, this is actually the last episode of 2020 uh, for this for this podcast. And so uh, it has been a crazy year. Uh, so much going on this year. But I just want you all to know this is going to be the final uh, episode for this year. And we'll be coming back in 2021. I mean, this this year has been really a year of crisis, protest, achievement, transitions. I mean, on and on. We know that the the, the big thing that happened this year was was covid. And we you know, got hit with something that we just weren't ready for. We can debate on our response and whether the response was good enough or not, but we know that we were just not ready uh, for this crisis. The AND campaign tried to play a part in helping Christians get through this moment. Uh, I remember when the crisis really first got going and folks couldn't go to church anymore. I had a lot of friends who, you know, really are pastoring smaller churches that were just wondering if they would be able to make it through the crisis. And I was just thankful that the AND campaign was able to respond to that. We were able to to spearhead the creation of the Churches Helping Churches Challenge, where we got together with an unprecedented coalition of, of faith organizations like the Church of God in Christ, which is one of the largest uh, black denominations, the National Association of Evangelicals, World Relief, the National Latino Evangelical Coalition, the, uh, the Asian American Christian Collaborative, and so on. To create, you know, that churches helping churches initiative, uh, and raise 1.3 million dollars in the middle of the crisis uh, for those churches in low income areas, so that they could make it through the crisis. I mean, that's one way that we were able to help, and I think one of the the largest achievements that the AND campaign has in 2020. Uh, this was a year, really, like I said, uh, of transitions. Uh, a great brother, Michael Ware, who had been with us for some time, transitioned into another position. Uh, we love him, are thankful for him and always supporting him. Uh, and, and, and you guys stuck with us throughout this time. I mean, even going back to COVID, uh, there were a lot of times where the Church Politics podcast was not as consistent as we would have liked it to be because we have kids and there was so much going on trying to really get adjusted to uh, what was going on all around us. Uh, but you all stuck with us. In a, in a crazy way, our, our audience even grew throughout that moment. Uh, and that just tells you that uh, God has really blessed us and we're, appreciate, we're appreciative of that. Something else that happened during the crisis was, you know, we saw a lot of this racialized violence. Uh, we saw the deaths of too many uh, black people uh, to the hands either of uh, the authorities or, or just others. And it, and it was something that it shouldn't have happened. And we had to put our undivided attention as a nation on that issue. 
And the end campaign in the middle of that, we got together, me, Chris Butler, Dr. C.J. Rhodes, uh, Corey Porter, Michael Ware and others. We got together and we created a, a, a biblical statement on racialized violence to say this is where, based on biblical tenets, we should stand when it comes to racial injustice, when it comes to this kind of kind of violence. And let me tell you, that was a huge moment for the AND campaign because I think it helped a lot of Christians in different spaces uh, deal or wrestle with what was going on in our country, what we were seeing on these videos in our country. And our influence, our following on social media just really exploded after that statement went out. And I think people started to realize the type of resource that the AND campaign was trying to be. Uh, and so I've just been thankful in this year. I mean, personally, this has just been a crazy year. My youngest learned to walk uh, during the crisis. My middle son learned to ride his bike. We spent a lot of time together, sometimes in frustration, but always thankful. Um, and I know a lot of people out there listening to me today have lost friends and family to uh, COVID. It hasn't been all good, and I'm not pretending that it has been all good, but there have been blessings even within that. We know that 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 God is indeed in control. Uh, and so hope, I pray that we continue to, to stay safe. We continue to come together to really build with one another and, and come out better than we went into this crisis. Uh, and I think we have the capability of doing that. So, again, I just want to thank you all for 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 this year, for 2020, for all your support. I want to say, look, we still need your support. Uh, although the AnCamp campaign raised $1.3 million, we raised it for churches, right? We didn't keep it for ourselves. We raised it for churches and all of it went uh, to those churches. So we still need your help. You can always donate to the AnCamp campaign at our website, which is andcampaign, A-N-D, campaign.org. Uh, or you can go to our Patreon if you want to give uh, for church politics specifically. You can go to patreon.com slash church politics. Again, as I said before, we need you to join the movement. Uh, we appreciate you being listeners, but we want you to be a part of this and join us in what we're trying to do, because this is a special movement and it's we're still on the front end of it. But we would love to have you uh, side by side with us as we try to put a more faithful Christian witness into the public square. Uh, well, as you know, uh, I, I talked about it earlier. Um uh, uh, Michael Ware is no longer the co-host of this show. My brother went to do other things, but I will be selecting a co-host before the next year. So look out for that announcement. Uh, it'll be some cool stuff coming along with it. But uh, I hope you all continue to listen. And even if you can't give, because it can be a small gift, it can be a, a big gift. But even if you, you're not in the position to give, as I said before, tell somebody about the AND campaign. Go on to iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the AND, listen to church politics on and uh, give us a review, man. Give us a review and, and, and tell some people, spread the word about church politics. We've grown a, a, a very large audience really just ba based on word of mouth. Uh, and we appreciate y'all for that. We wouldn't be here without, without you. I'm going to get into something that I really think we need to talk about before we get into 2021 uh, when we get back. But I'm going to take a quick break and then we're going to get into a conversation that I really think Christians need to be having. I'll be right back with you. And I am back with the Church Politics uh, podcast. 
And let me say something. You know, I just talked about the importance of our our biblical statement on racialized violence and how I think that that really helped a lot of Christians deal with the violence that we saw going on during the the, uh, the crisis. And that helped really helped the end campaign kind of stick out um, among a lot of the commentary that was coming, you know, that was coming with that violence. And I think something else that helped help us stick out is that while it was clear that Anne wasn't at all pleased with many of the things that President Trump did, I think people appreciated, some people appreciated, not everybody, uh, our refusal to be Trump-centered, right? To be able to criticize, to be able to compliment when necessary, but not to be Trump-centered. We criticized Trump when necessary. We criticized the Democrats when necessary. But we were deliberate about not making our every comment or our every strategic move about Trump. Now, this frustrated a lot of progressives who felt like every public statement needed to serve the purpose of getting rid of Trump. And in their view, if you critique Democrats or if you ever complimented Republicans, then you were empowering and enabling Trump. That's the point of view that a lot of people took. And it it seems that's the point of view that a lot of people in the media uh, took. But see, we felt like we would have done you and our other supporters a huge disservice if our entire message was just a a protracted and performative reaction to Trump, good or bad. If that's all we had to provide you, we don't think we would have been providing you with much. So much would have been lost if that was the posture that we took, or if that's the way that we went about it. But still, so many Christians have allowed their public witness to be opposition-centered. And that's really what I want to talk about now. They've allowed their public, we as Christians have allowed our public witness to be opposition-centered one way or another. So not just talking about the left, not just talking about the right, but we become very opposition-centered in our public witness. You see, I've talked about already, we've had some good conversations on here. I've talked about already at the end of the year why we need to fellowship with Christians who voted differently than we did. If you haven't listened to that episode, you need to listen to the episode where we talk about fellowshipping with Christians who voted differently. I've also talked about why, as Christians, we can't be scoffers, right? That we can't treat other people with contempt in how we speak to them and how we speak about them. Then I also talked about why, and Chris was part of this conversation, why we should be peacemakers. Why and what, you know, what it means to be a peacemaker as a Christian. And so, again, I want to end this year by talking about why Christians shouldn't have an opposition centered public witness. Now, an opposition centered public witness is a form of sociopolitical engagement that's not primarily centered around certain principles, but rather centered around one's adversary. Compassion, consistency, and uprightness, all that good stuff, is secondary in this form of engagement. The primary objective is to beat your opposition and to define them as completely irredeemable. It's much more Nietzsche than Christ. Opposition-centered politics is basically politics as an ongoing response to your rival rather than an application 
of your own convictions. It becomes about countering or preempting the other side in some type of zero-sum game. And that's how we play it, right? Consequently, though, when you look at politics this way, when you approach it this way, you can be malicious. You can be inconsistent if it serves the aforementioned purposes. So, for example, listen here. For example, this is why in the past one could say or a group could say that the character of an elected official mattered. But then come back and say that it doesn't matter so much now. That's how this is how that can happen. Because you see, it's not about the principle. It's about the real or perceived threat posed by the opponent. And if that if you can make that real or perceived threat big enough, then you can justify violating your own principles. And didn't we see that over and over in the 2020 election, in the 2016 election, Christians violating their own principle because of this real or perceived threat, because of this opposition? And that's just not how we should do public engagement. For Christians, for Christians who want to engage faithfully, who want to engage with integrity, when we're trying to figure out where we should stand on an issue, our opposition's position shouldn't be our primary concern. Defeating our opposition shouldn't be our primary concern. Now, should we have an understanding of what the opposition is doing? Sure, that all goes in part of strategy and understanding things. That's very important. You're not to ignore it, but you're also not to center it. Truth, compassion, and conviction should be the most important things that we're considering when we're trying to decide where we should stand on an issue. Now, to back up a little bit, we should first do our due diligence to make sure that we understand the issue. We always want to try to be informed. And that's why the AN campaign talks so much about raising civic literacy. We do want to be informed. And once we do that due diligence, then it is not our job just to decide where the opposition is and do the opposite. Then we need to apply biblical principles to the issue. Or as the AND campaign always says, as the AND campaign says in our book, Compassion and Conviction, if you don't have that book, you need to grab it. But as we always say, we need to apply the compassion and conviction of the gospel to the issue at hand, which may, may mean that we need to reframe the issue altogether. But we certainly shouldn't be centering our opposition. Unfortunately, this isn't often the way that we go about it. Instead of clearly articulating what the biblical position on an issue is based on the merits. In many cases, we spend our time detailing how bad our opponents are and how they get how they get the issue wrong. We then use our opponent's error as the justification for taking the opposite stance or a wrong stance that just has to be different than them. And wherever we end up landing, based on that reasoning, we call it biblical. 
because it must be biblical if it's opposite of what those demons on the other side are doing. But that's not the case. The truth of the matter is that your opponent could be wrong and you could be wrong, too. The only thing that keeps you from being in that position are biblical principles. Things that aren't changed based on the circumstances or the situation. Things that aren't conditional. The problem is we're not examining the issue again based on its merits. We're not applying principle and and then applying the principles from there. Our positions aren't always grounded in timeless convictions. In many cases, they're simply a response to our opponent's stance. And then the world provides us with all kinds of talking points to avoid thinking critically about our own position. That's how it happens too often. Now, let me provide some recent examples of this. I I, I never want to leave things in the abstract. I want to provide you with some examples of an opposition-centered public witness. Many of you have heard that Last week, I think it was, uh, Southern Baptist Seminary presidents released a statement basically condemning critical race theory, saying that it should not be taught basically in uh, those seminaries. A few weeks prior to that, Al Al Mohler, who is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, promised to do everything in his power to make sure that Southern Baptists weren't woke. Right. So these things go together. Critical race theory, wokeness. They're putting those together and saying we need to make sure we keep this out of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Now, look, before I get into this, I want to honestly say that I have nothing against these guys personally. I I don't know them. I've never had a conversation with them. Okay, I have good brothers who are in the Southern Baptist Convention that I really respect. Uh, Dahadi Lewis, for example, Russell Moore, Dr. Russell Moore uh, are, are two good examples of that. But let me say this. The idea that critical race theory should be the primary concern of Southern Baptists seems very silly to me. The Southern Baptist Convention isn't at risk of becoming a bastion of progressivism. There are much greater threats in that denomination. They're basically saying with this statement condemning critical race theory, they're basically saying that the barbarians are at the gate. And they're saying that the barbarians are at the gate without addressing the white supremacists that are already in the temple. Historically speaking, and these are just the facts. Southern Baptists missed the entire civil rights movement. One of the greatest movements in our country's history, if not the greatest movements and most necessary movements in our country's country's history because of our country's uh, original sin. They missed the entire thing. Not only missed it but perpetuated much of the injustice that made the civil rights movement necessary. 
And now you want to come acting like the main concern is critical race theory when there's no clear indication that you've done what's necessary to correct things to make sure that you don't miss something like that again. No one outside of that bubble is convinced that you've done what it takes to make sure that you wouldn't make the same mistake again. Yet when you come talking like critical race theory is the, is the main issue that you're dealing with, you lose a lot of credibility. You see, I'm reading a a really great book on Reconstruction. And one of the things that that I've learned, and I knew it a little bit, but even learned more so in detail reading this book, is that after the Civil War, America could have prevented black people from going through much of the suffering that came with the lost cause, the rise of the KKK and all that, that came with Jim Crow. That could have, much of that could have been prevented. But but leaders like Rutherford B. Hayes and others refused to force southern states to truly reform. They refused to do it. I mean, these folks could massacre whole towns of black people and then shame federal officials into not fully intervening by claiming states' rights. By, By basically saying... That those terrible northern radicals wanted to violate our state's rights. And when they would do that, they would take the focus off of the fact that they were lynching black people at alarming rates. Because they would focus you on states' rights. The violation of states' rights became the foil. It became the opposition That allowed them to continue terrorizing black people with impunity. And Rutherford B. Hayes and other folks fell for it. To a lesser extent, we see a similar strategy here. The fact of the matter is, is too many Southern Baptist Convention pastors don't want to reform on race. They just don't want to do it. So they point to critical race theory as the primary threat while absolving themselves of any obligation to do better on race. This is what an opposition-centered public witness does. It takes your eye off the facts. It takes your eye off your own principles. It takes your eye off the Bible. It takes your eye off reality and focuses it on the adversary. Real, perceived, or greatly exaggerated. The funny thing is, I'm not even a a big defender of critical race theory like that. Anybody who's been listening to me for a good amount of time knows that I've gone out of my way to challenge Christians who use it as their primary lens to critique it because it does have some serious flaws. I've said that over and over again. But white evangelicals in particular would do good to wrestle with it in earnest because it does have merits. They do themselves good not to treat critical race theory as the first thing within the denomination that needs to be condemned. And that was my problem with that statement. Let's take a break real quick and we'll be uh, right back. 
back on the Church Politics Podcast. Well, I am back. I keep doing that. Y'all gotta, y'all gotta help me. Uh, I'm back on the Church Politics Podcast, and I'm talking about opposition-centered politics and, and what's wrong with Christians engaging in opposition-centered, an opposition-centered public witness. So it doesn't even really have to be politics, but just a public witness that is opposition-centered. And I think much of this opposition-centered stuff comes from how polarized we are in this country. And then we so dislike the other side that we just don't think critical, critically about our own side. And sometimes the issues that the, the positions that we're taking. And so I just gave a, you know, a long monologue on my problem with the, the condemnation coming from some seminary professors of critical race theory. It's not that there aren't aspects that do need to be pointed out and say that's not biblical because I think that's true. But in view of everything else going on, uh, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And I know people that are in the Southern Baptist Convention that agree with that conversation. Again, it's not personal, but I think we, we have to critique one another. And we have to call things out. People do the same thing to us and the AND campaign will continue to do that. Now, when we talk about opposition centered uh, public witness, it doesn't just happen on the right. We get a similar response from progressive Christians, especially on the subject of abortion. The line that I've heard several times recently when the subject of abortion comes up is that white evangelicals, the Southern Baptist Convention specifically, was pro-choice before it became so staunchly pro-life. That's the line that you get once you bring that up. The implication of this, I think, is that this isn't a long-standing Christian position. They're hypocrites and are just over the past few decades making a big deal about this really for political purposes, but it's not a, a real issue that they really care about. I think I heard this for the first time from a progressive professor while I was on a panel at the University of North Carolina. And I think I dealt with it pretty handily. The last time I heard it, I didn't have an opportunity to fully address it. And so I want I want to address this more publicly uh, now. Let me first say say this, you know, the recounting the fact that the Southern Baptist Convention Many were pro-choice before they were staunchly pro-life. I think that is an interesting piece of history. I think it's helpful in understanding the history of abortion advocacy, and, and there are some political aspects to it. But here's what it doesn't do. It doesn't answer whether abortion is right or wrong from a biblical point of view. It doesn't do that at all. It's not meant to do that. It simply diverts our attention by centering what many see as their opposition, right? Where the Southern Baptist Convention or Southern Baptists stood in the past or where they stand presently on the issue of abortion does not determine whether abortion is right or wrong. It's not really even a factor in my analysis. I mean, that's not my faith tradition, but that's not even really a factor in my analysis. It's simply an opposition-centered talking point meant to focus you on the faults of your opponent. But let me say this, since we're talking history. Many black and Hispanic Christians have long disagreed with abortion, and it had nothing to do with where white Christians stood on the issue. If we want to talk history, Fannie Lou Hamer 
took a pro-life stance, a whole life pro-life stance in the 1960s based on biblical precepts. And it had nothing to do with her political opponents. It had nothing, nothing to do with the people who were oppressing her in Mississippi. Stop centering human error in your rival's misdeeds when evaluating the righteousness or unrighteousness of a certain position. It's just like this big conversation that we're having around whiteness and what whiteness means. The conversation comes from the fact that this country has, to a certain extent, taken white culture and made it the norm. So that anything that doesn't fit within that culture seems abnormal. And that is really problematic for a number of reasons. But I'll say this. I think some progressives, uh, namely a lot of folks in academia and in the activist community, are taking this whiteness conversation, which is a conversation that needs to be had. But they're taking this whiteness conversation and they're using it to manipulate people. And it all goes back to opposition centered, you know, having an opposition centered public witness. We're now hearing things like and this is going up in museums and very serious places. We're now hearing, you know, in this whiteness conversation, we're now hearing things like believing in the Bible is whiteness. Monotheism is whiteness. Industry and work ethic are whiteness. The scientific method is whiteness. And the one that really got me, they all got me pretty bad, but the one that really got me, respect for authority is whiteness. Now, I'm not sure who raised y'all, but the village of black people who raised me always taught me to respect authority. So, So to paint that as whiteness is really fishy to me. But the problem with that list of assertions that I just gave you is that it's centering whiteness and it's centering whiteness for a very strategic reason. They're ignoring how generations of people of color have added to, debated and disagreed on those concepts completely outside of whiteness. Some with little or no consideration of whiteness at all. Those are universal concepts. It's not something that some white supremacist made up in some lab. But see, I hope y'all are seeing what the problem. I hope y'all are not falling for this. I hope you see through what what's going on here. This is just a crude attempt to get black people who tend to be more conservatives than than progressives would like. It's a crude attempt to get black people to become more secular progressive. By taking whatever postmodern trash they'd like us to believe and juxtaposing it to the conservative white power structure. They're basically calling anything that deals with absolute truth, anything that deals with structure, anything that deals with God's design and calling it white adjacent, hoping that you'll avoid it. Some progressive influencers are hoping that we're so opposition centered that will always take their side, not based on the merits of the case, but based on seeing what they label white as undesirable. If they can label it white, 
then we'll be so opposition centered that we'll go against it. Regardless of, of the merits, regardless of our convictions. But see, this is what happens. And not just on the left, on both sides. People who want to influence your decisions will use your dislike of group X to make you dislike a certain policy stance by association. So to take to take the example from earlier, some folks on the right would say liberals like social justice. We dislike liberals. Therefore, we dislike social justice. On the other hand, some progressives would say. White conservatives are pro-life. We dislike white conservatives. Therefore, we're pro-choice. And I hope you see what's missing here. The Bible principles are missing from both those logical fallacies. Those stances aren't centered around Christian principles. They're centered around the opposition. That is a brain dead way to make decisions, Christians. That's what I'm trying to get to. Being opposition centered is a brain dead way of making decisions. It allows you to be manipulated and misdirected because you're taking your 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 eyes off the facts. You're taking your eyes off the principles. You're taking your eyes off gospel compassion. You're taking your eyes off of gospel convictions. And you're only focused on winning the conversation, winning the policy based on who you think your, your political opponent is. Your political opponent's stance should never dictate your position. I don't care if postmodern progressives support racial justice. That's not going to have any bearing on whether I support it or not. The Bible has bearing on what, what, why I support it. So even if they say they support it, I'll probably support it differently, but I still have to do it. I don't really care if some white supremacist uh, supports it says he's pro-life. That's not going to bear on whether I think it's the right issue. I'm going to look at the issue, apply my principles to it, and I'll probably approach it differently. But I'm not not going to approach it because somebody I, I dislike says they agree with me on that issue. Your opponent can be wrong about 99 issues. But as a Christian, you must credit them on the one issue they get right or partially right. See, our society likes to say, especially on these two issues, if you get this issue wrong, you have no credibility on anything else. If you're wrong on abortion, then everything else within your politics and in your life is wrong. If you're wrong on race, then everything in your politics and your life is wrong. I'm sorry, but reality is just a little bit different than that. Somebody can be wrong on most things and get something right and you need not oppose them on that thing. You better not oppose them on that thing that they get right. And that's why we have to think through our politics and not just let other people uh, juxtapose what they want us to do from what we dislike. And then we just go along with, with the folks that are that are that are setting all this up. And, and especially when it comes to the abortion conversation in Christians who are in more politically progressive situations, we've got to think through this. This, you know, when you look at abortion, this is what the women of the end campaign were doing in the in the whole life uh, project. 
they were taking an issue that some people want to say is a white issue or some people want to say a conservative issue and saying, no, it's a Christian issue. It's a human dignity issue. And these these women did an excellent job in this project of reframing that issue, not addressing it as progressives address it, not addressing it as conservatives address it, not having an opposition centered witness. They came up with a way of articulating this that was just excellent. And you have people pushing back against their work because it's supposedly a white or conservative issue. You have people who don't want church folks to see their videos and the hard work they put into this project because some fo- because these detractors are serving progressivism or conservatism and not serving the kingdom. We look to Jesus to see what to do. We look to the Bible to see what to do. We don't look to the Pharisees or the Sadducees and just do the opposite of what they're doing and call ourselves just or call ourselves righteous or call ourselves faithful. In 2021, I am really calling Christians not to have an opposition-centered witness. It's lazy. It's easily manipulated. Let's think through the issues for ourselves. We need to care about racial justice. We need to care about life, the sanctity of life, no matter who says they support it or who says they're against it. I've gone on too long. I wanted this to be a shorter episode. But let me just end, as always, by saying this. And Camp, there is a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ. Until next time, until 2021, Ann Camp. Y'all take care. Came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, can yeah. you handle it? I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a fame.